turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let us pray. Now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Thank you for the privilege of having a copy of your word. Thank you that it is infallible, that it is authoritative, and that it is practical for the lives that we live in this earth. Holy Spirit, help me to preach and teach the word and help your people to hear the word and be doers of the word so that when it's all said and done, our lights may shine before men and they may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. Thank you, Lord. We bless you and we thank you for what we have already experienced. Thank you for filling the house with your joy, with your peace, with your power, with your hope, and I pray for that person who may not know you, Lord, who has never asked Jesus to be their Savior. I pray that today would be the day that they would say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Lord Jesus, I believe in you. Lord Jesus, save me. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for what you do. We bless you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. A wise man once said, we become what we behold. We become what we behold, or to break it down in today's vernacular, if I can see it, then I can be it. We become what we behold, and these are the words of Carter G. Woodson, author of The Miseducation of the Negro, an inventor of Negro History Week. Negro History Week was founded in 1926 because Woodson understood the importance of inclusion and respectable representation. The stories and accomplishments of black Americans were not being told and our image was not being properly rep represented. Therefore, black people took it upon ourselves to tell our own stories, to highlight our own accomplishments, and to change our own collective image. The month of February was selected in 1926 by Mr. Woodson because of Abraham Lincoln's birthday, which was February 12th, and Frederick Douglass's birthday, which was February the 14th. So Negro History Week began during that time and eventually evolved into Black History Month in the 70s. So I know that there are black people who say, how come Black History Month has to be in February, the shortest month of the year? Why did they give us that? Well, it was selected because of Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and it began as a week, and then it grew into a month. Now, here's one reason we need Black History Month. We've all been taught about Paul Revere, 
and his midnight ride on April 18, 1775. And for those who don't know, we have a Paul Revere in our church. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> we all know about this man and his midnight ride on April 18, 1775 to warn the Minutemen that the British were coming. But how many of us were taught about Wentworth Cheswell, a black man who also rode on the same night? Cheswell rode north, telling the colonists that the Redcoats were coming. The Revolutionary War veteran would eventually become the first black man elected to public office in the United States of America. So Wentworth Cheswell. Here's another reason for Black History Month. How many of us were taught about Amelia Earhart, the first female aviator to fly solo across the Atlantic Ocean in 1928? But how many of us were taught about Bessie Coleman, the first African-American woman to earn a pilot's license in 1921? And it would be her experience that would open up the door for the Red Tails and the Tuskegee Airmen. Well, newsflash this morning. I have a newsflash for you. I am not Jewish. I am black. Yet, the foundation of my entire life has, built, has been built upon Hebrew people and Hebrew history. So let me say that again. I am not Jewish. I am black. I am African American. Yet, the foundation of my entire life has been built upon Hebrew people and Hebrew history. I've been saved by a Hebrew Messiah. And the truth is, I know Hebrew history better than my own African-American history. I've never been enslaved in Egypt, but I can relate. I've never been oppressed by Egyptian taskmasters, but I can relate. I've never had to make bricks without straw, but I can relate. I've never had to put blood on the doorposts of my house, but I can relate. I'm not Jewish, yet these stories were written for me. They were written for you. They were written for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 from the New Living Translation says, These things happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. These things were written down about the Jews for us. They were written to increase our faith in God. God expects for me, a black man, to learn about him through Hebrew history, which is primarily found in these 66 books which make up the Bible which happened to be written by Hebrew authors. So God expects me to know about him through Hebrew history found in a Hebrew book written by Hebrew people. Ah, these things were written for us as examples. And if Gentiles, that is non-Jewish people, if we can learn about God through Hebrew history written by Hebrew people, here it is. Can't Hebrew people learn about God through Gentile history written by Gentiles? And if black people can learn about God from white people, can't white people learn about God from black people? 
And if black people can learn about white people in the scope of American history, can't white people learn about black people in the scope of American history? In other words, can't we learn from one another? We should. And that's my main point. God has always intended for his children to learn about him and one another in the midst of community. And this learning happens best in the midst of a diverse community. God expects for us to learn about him in the context of community. This morning in our theology class, I realized that I am teaching the class, but I'm not the only teacher in the class. Because we have been endowed with the Holy Spirit and he teaches us things that no teacher can teach us. And there are times where Miss Loretta has a nugget from heaven that the class needs to hear. So in the midst of community, where there are men and women, black and white, we're able to learn about God and one another. We learn best in community as opposed to isolation. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, we read verse 11. Here's verse 1. Paul says, I don't want you to be... Excuse me, I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, what our ancestors in the wilderness long ago, all of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. Okay, you're going to help me prove this thesis that we learn best in the midst of community, especially in the midst of diverse community where there are men and women, Jews, Gentiles, Africans, uh, rich, poor, slave, free. We learn best about God and one another in the midst of community, especially diverse community, God's diverse kingdom. And Paul said, I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. So here's my question. Who were the brothers and sisters Paul was referring to in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1? Who are the brothers and sisters? Well, Paul wrote to the church of Corinth, a church which he founded on his second missionary journey, which can be found in Acts chapter 18. The church at Corinth was comprised of Jewish and European believers. So when Paul went out to preach the gospel, he was known as the apostle to the Gentiles, yet he had a heart and a burden for his people, Israel. So he would go into the synagogues first to talk to his people, and he would prove from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. That was his mode of ministry operation, because synagogues were spread throughout the then known world because of various stages of persecution in the past, where Jews could not get back to Jerusalem, so they built synagogues, places to meet God all over the place. So when Jesus gave the commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every ethnic group, all the nations, ethnos, Paul would go to the synagogue, speak to the Jews, and there would be overflow into the community, and Gentiles, i.e. Europeans, Greeks, Romans would hear the gospel, and as a result, the church, the called out ones, the ecclesia, would be birthed. Jesus says, I'm going to build my church, and the church he builds is supposed to be a reflection of what heaven's going to be, and that is diverse. So Paul went out in, in Corinth, in Acts chapter 18, and a church was born 
And from Jump Street, it was multi-ethnic. From Jump Street, it was comprised of Jews and Europeans. This means that two different ethnic groups with a serious history of hostility attended church together. But not only that, not only were Gentiles and Jews together, but there was an African presence in the church at Corinth as well through a leader named Apollos. Apollos may have been an African convert to Judaism who then converted to Christ. Acts chapter 18 verse 24 tells us a little bit about him. The Bible says that there was a Jew named Apollos who lived, who came from Africa, but he had this Greek name, Apollos. That wasn't a Jewish name or an African name. So this man represents within himself God's diverse kingdom. He's from Africa, Alexandria, which is in Africa. And he has a Greek name, and he's called a Jew, which means he may have become a proselyte to Judaism. And he's a seeker, and he ends up finding Jesus, or rather Jesus finds him. And then Aquila and Priscilla disciple him further in the gospel because the Bible says he was a speaker. He was a powerful orator. And so therefore, the church at Corinth had people of Semitic descent, Jewish, had people of Japhetic descent, European, and people of Hamitic descent, African. What am I talking about here? I'm talking about the three sons of Noah, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, from whom the whole earth was populated after the flood. So we see here a culmination in this church of the three sons of Noah coming to Jesus Christ, and they're all in this church, so much so where this African man, Apollos, baptized people. And Paul said, uh, uh, Apollos has baptized some of you, and Cephas has baptized some of you. And then he goes on to say a little bit later, in the scope of ministry, Paul says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered. So the one who planted and the one who watered, we're nothing. It's God who gives the increase. So Apollos was a leader. There was an African presence there. So in the first century, there was much division and enmity between Jews and Gentiles. Corinth was no exception. The Bible records a racially charged incident about a group of Greeks who beat up the Jewish synagogue ruler, Sosthenes, Acts chapter 18, verse 17. So a bunch of Greeks beat up one Jewish man, and it's in that place that God says, I want my church to be, and I want my church to be comprised of Jews and Gentiles. So the Gentiles, listen to this, they had the political, economic, and numeric power and the Jews saw them as their idol-worshiping oppressors. Jews didn't like Gentiles. This was their land. But it was occupied by Romans. Greeks had the power, not the Jews, but through his cross. Jesus brought Jews and Gentiles together into one new man. They became one, but not the same. They were given unity, but not uniformity. So in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for we are all one in Christ. 
When I come to Jesus, I don't stop being a Jew. I don't stop being a Gentile. A woman doesn't stop being a woman. A man doesn't stop being a man. Your social status may not change. You may continue to be a slave or poor. You may be rich. Those things are part of who we are. But the primary emphasis on our identity is who we are in Christ. I am in Christ. Christ is in me. Because of that, we are one even though we're not the same. So we can celebrate our differences. We can learn from our differences. And God forbid if we allow our differences of race, class, and gender to divide us when Jesus died to bring us together. This is the gospel. And so in the first century, multi-ethnic churches were normal. And homogeneous churches were abnormal. But in the 21st century today, multi-ethnic churches like this one are the exception. And homogeneous churches are the rule. What happened? How do we get used to the abnormal when division and segregation is not the kingdom of God? Even though we've gotten used to it. And whether you like it or not, we are all brothers and Sisters in the Lord, if you know Jesus, you're my brother, you're my sister, I'm your brother, if you know Jesus. So Russ Taft was right. You're my brother, you're my sister, so take me by the hand. Together we will work until he comes. Any Russ Taft fans? Uh, what's that, Bill Gaither from back in the day? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of y'all are like, who is that? What was that? But somebody says, oh, I know that song. Can I get a witness? If I could sing it, I would. But Russ knew what was happening. You're my brother. You're my sister. Okay, let me come down your street with this. Sister Sledge. We are family. I got all my brothers and sisters with me. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. We are family. And Dr. King was right when he said, I have a dream that little black boys and little white boys will be able to join hands as brothers. And little white girls and little black girls will be able to join hands as sisters. So who was he writing to? Brothers and sisters in the Lord. From various ethnic backgrounds that were part of a local church, which was a representation of the universal spiritual church that they were a part of through Jesus Christ. So he calls them brothers and sisters. But not only that, can I read on in 1 Corinthians 10.1? He says, I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters who are African, European, and Jewish, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. I want you to know about our ancestors, our ancestors, our ancestors. Who, who were our ancestors? That Paul was talking about. Well, if we read the text, we'll see that Paul is telling this multi-ethnic congregation about the Hebrew people. So he's saying to this multi-ethnic congregation that our ancestors came out of Egypt and they were heading to the promised land. This means that the Europeans and Africans in the church at Corinth had to claim the Jews of old as their ancestors. Did I say it too fast? It... So when Paul is speaking with inclusive language, our ancestors, he knows he's talking to a diverse church. 
Some people can trace their natural physical lineage to those ancestors because they're Hebrew. But then there were Europeans in that church and Africans in that church who naturally could not say that that was my ancestor. But hold on. Because, yes, they can say that. So Paul is saying, these are our people. Then he's going to talk about Moses. This is our leader. Over in Galatians, he basically says about Abram, Abraham, he's the father of our faith, whether you are Jewish or Gentile, whether you have been circumcised or not. Father Abraham, because it's about faith which supersedes ethnicity, but faith gives definition to ethnicity. It doesn't wash it away. Ah, This is good. But what if Paul flipped the script and talked about our European ancestors? Because he said our ancestors who went out of Egypt into the promised land, then he talks about Moses, that the people were baptized under him as their leader. They all drank from the same spiritual rock and the cloud followed them. He's talking about Hebrew people. And Africans and Europeans were to say, yeah, those are our ancestors. But what if, because he's talking to a multi-ethnic church, he said, uh, what about our European ancestors? Can't they be followed too? The centurion who came to Christ in Matthew chapter 8, who said, Lord, you don't even have to come under my roof. All you got to do is speak the word. Is not this man an example of faith? Because Jesus said, I haven't even heard Jewish people with this kind of faith. But here's a Gentile. So isn't that one of our ancestors? What about Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 who had a vision of Peter coming to him to share the word of God so that Cornelius, a Roman uh, uh, leader, could come to Christ? And the Spirit of God fell in Acts chapter 10 upon the Europeans the same way he fell in Acts chapter 2 upon the Hebrews, showing that it's by one Spirit, whether Jew or Gentile, that we have been baptized into the body of Christ. Gentiles didn't get a Gentile spirit. Jews didn't get a Jewish spirit. They got the Holy Spirit, making them one body because one Savior made it all possible. He could have talked about the Philippian jailer in Acts 16 who gave his life to Christ because Paul preached the gospel and showed mercy to him. That man said, what must I do to be saved? And Paul did not tell that European man, you got to get circumcised to get saved. He said, no, believe on the Lord Jesus and you and your household will be saved. A revival broke out. Literally, jailhouse rock was going on in Philippi. A Jew ministering to a European. So Paul could have flipped the script and said, let me tell you about our ancestors who are European. He also could have flipped the script and talked about our African ancestors. He could have said, "Uh, y'all know about Nimrod in Genesis chapter 10. He's the direct descendant of Ham. Here's what not to do, because sometimes history teaches you what not to do. And in the book of 1 Corinthians 10, everything the Jewish people did wasn't good. They did a lot of bad stuff. So learn from that bad example, too. Don't do that. And Nimrod, he began several kingdoms, one of which was Babel, Babylon. So a black man was a kingdom builder. 
And it was under his influence that the Tower of Babel was built. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord, the Bible says. But don't be like him. When God tells you to spread out, don't say we stand here and we're going to build our own tower because we're feeling ourselves now. We got a little bit of technology in that era. But no matter how high you go, God still got to come down and look at what y'all doing. So you ain't all that. So reject the humanism. Look to God and obey him. Or Paul could have talked about Jethro in Exodus 18. The African priest who had a daughter named Zipporah who ended up marrying the Hebrew Moses that Moses went to to get wisdom on how to lead the Hebrew people in the wilderness. And Jethro said, man, look here now, the way you leading ain't right, homie. You meeting with everybody. They lined up to meet with you. You will wear out and the people will wear out. Here's what you need to do. Delegate. Give authority over to men who can lead over 50s and hundreds and thousands and the difficult cases. Let them bring to you. But so Moses had to listen to his African father-in-law and help save his life and the people of God. But then that father-in-law not only had a daughter named Zipporah, he had a brother that Moses begged to come with him to go through the wilderness because Moses understood that his brother-in-law, I can't remember his name right now, he knew how to maneuver through the wilderness. So Paul could have talked about these Africans. What about Ebed-Melech in Jeremiah chapter 18? The, the Cushite, the Ethiopian, who saved the weeping prophet from certain death as he was placed in the cistern and left there to die, sinking in the mud. But Abed-Melech went against the government. He stepped out in bravery because he knew Jeremiah was God's mouthpiece. And he sent some clothes and some rags down, tied together, and put around the prophet so that they could pull him out into safety. He could have talked about Abed-Melech. He could have talked about Simon of Cyrene in Luke chapter 23 when Jesus couldn't carry his cross. An African man who was in town, no doubt a proselyte, a seeker, coming to worship Yahweh. And you have a Hebrew man bludgeoned, can't carry his cross. You have Europeans whipping him, and you have an African that's there. And they say, you take the cross. And he has the privilege and the honor, a black man carrying the cross of Jesus when Jesus could not carry it for himself. Do you see why black history is needed? Because for hundreds of years, these kinds of stories weren't told. And if they were told, these black people lightened up somehow. Or Paul could have said, let me tell you about the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8, who was also coming to Jerusalem to worship. But Philip met him and shared the gospel from Isaiah 53 with him. And he accepted Christ and was baptized. And he went home rejoicing back to Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, meaning that Africa had countries that were civilized. The Bible tells me this. But if I'm in classes where I'm not taught these kinds of things, if we can celebrate everybody else's history, but when we come to black history, there's a shame attached to it. No, no, no. We're not going to talk about black history. 
No, no, no. We, we've got to speak up. Amen. So we all share the same ancestors. We all share the same ancestors. How in the world can I say that? Because of what Acts 17, 26 says. From one man, he created every nation on the face of the earth. Can I put it in reverse? From one man, who's that man? Adam. <laughs> so if you're human, we all trace our lineage back to Adam. So we're all a part of the Adam's family. So Adam has a great-great-grandson named Noah. Noah has three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Through them, the whole earth is populated. So we all share in this thing called humanity. We're all made in the image of God. So the finger of God is on each one of us. And so because of that alone, there should be dignity. And rather than talking about civil rights, we need to just talk about human rights. That you're human. I'm a human. Whether somebody knows Jesus or not, we're in the brotherhood of humanity. From one man, he made every nation of men on the face of the earth. And he determined their habitation and where they would live. God, he's in control of history. History is his story. So Jews, Europeans, and Africans are brothers and sisters in Christ who share the same ancestors. Therefore, black history, like Hebrew history, is our history. It's not their history. It's our history if we believe that God is sovereign in control and has linked all of us through Adam, one man, but above all, through Jesus, one lamb. Ah. In the 1980s, as I closed, there was a popular commercial that said, I want to be, I want to be like Mike. You had kids going out getting Gatorade, getting the Jordan sneakers, putting their tongue out, trying to glide and all that stuff because the power of Marketing was in effect. I, I want to be like Mike, who when I was growing up was probably one of the most influential figures, no matter what ethnicity, in the world. Yeah, that was Michael Jackson, but we could moonwalk, but we could at least try to shoot a jump shot like Mike. And so there were kids, black kids, white kids, Asian kids, and Latino kids who wanted to be like Michael Jordan. That song was etched in our mind. I want to be like Mike. Well, to be like Michael Jordan is cool, but Black History Month encourages all of us to say, I want to be like James, James Meredith, the first African-American admitted to the University of Mississippi in 1962. That took courage. I want to be like Phyllis, Phyllis Wheatley, the first black woman to publish a book in America in 1773. I want to be like Ida, Ida B. Wells, a former slave and journalist who documented the lynching of blacks in the 1890s and exposed racist crimes in America. I want to be like Wilma, Wilma Rudolph, 
the first American woman to win three gold medals in track and field at a single Olympics. I want to be like George, George Lyle, a former slave and America's first missionary in 1782. So the first missionary in America was a black man. I want to be like William, William Seymour, a black holiness preacher in 1906 who initiated the Azusa Street Revival, which gave birth to the Pentecostal and charismatic movements in America. Yeah. I want to be like W, W.E.B. Du Bois. After graduating from Fisk University in 1888, he went on to become the first black man to earn a Ph.D. from Harvard University in 1895. I want to be like Shirley, Shirley Chisholm, first black woman elected to Congress in 1968 and the first black woman to campaign for the Democratic Party's presidential nomination in 1972. I want to be like May, May Jemison the first female astronaut, and she was a passenger on the space shuttle Endeavor. I want to be like Brian, Brian Stevenson, a defense lawyer who rescues people unjustly placed on death row, and he is the founder of the Equal Justice Initiative. And if I'm going to be like Mike, yeah, 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 I'll be like Mike. I'll be like Mike King Jr., who after his father came from a trip to Germany and learning about Martin Luther, Mike Sr. came back home and changed he and his son's name from Mike to Martin Luther King Jr. And this man grew up to lead the Montgomery Improvement Association, to desegregate buses, to earn the Nobel Peace Prize, to tell America about a dream that he had, to give us the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act. Oh, yeah, I want to be like Mike. <laughs> give me Mike King Jr. Black history is our history. These are our ancestors. And just as we read the writings of Hebrews to learn about God and one another, we can read the writings of Africans and African Americans. And this is how we know this system in America, this racist system, has crippled many of us and conditioned our minds. Because if I say, can you tell me a black theologian that you read? And if it takes a while... Or nothing registers, you need Black History Month. If I say, man, can you show me? And next week we're going to talk about Ethiopians in the Bible. And then we'll let you go to eat the soul food. <laughs> but you're going to see some things in the Bible. I'm still seeing things. I'm like, wow. This is a great Black History book right here. And there are brothers on the street who think that this is the white man's religion about a white God and a white Jesus because they've been conditioned. And we've got to come along and speak the truth Amen. about God, about Jesus, and about their, our heritage. Let's stand for prayer. Father, the Berean Christians were a noble group of people because they studied and checked the word after Paul preached. And Lord, for all of us to get these kinds of things in our soul, we need to study. We just don't need to listen. We, we need to, to dive in for ourselves. But that's not how we were taught here in America. We were taught to accept the dominant 
group's perspective on everything, including God. And it's so easy to say it doesn't matter about that stuff. Yes, it does matter. When the Bible lays out descriptions of Ethiopians about their skin color, it, it matters. When the Bible says that Ibed Melech over three times in one chapter was a Cushite, an Ethiopian, it matters. So forgive us, Lord, for not speaking the truth. Lord, for those of us who have become so assimilated into white church culture, black or white, Latino or Asian, Lord, may the truth set us free. May we not be afraid to say what you say about us, that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. That your word doesn't talk about races, it talks about families. That's what it talks about, brothers and sisters. Help us to reclaim words. Help us, Lord, to experience your diverse kingdom. Help us to explain it. And then, Lord, help us to expand it. May we expand it on our jobs and our families. And just as Hebrew history is not limited to one month of the year, we should not limit ourselves to African-American history to one month of the year. But then, Lord, there's Latino history and Asian history and Native American history. There's so much to learn that as we learn about one another, we learn about you. We see your faithfulness to every people group that Jesus has purchased with his blood <laughs> that he is taking to glory. Ah, God. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Would you raise up ministers who have the courage to lead and plant multi-ethnic churches? Lord, we know every church is not going to be multi-ethnic, but Lord, we want to see more churches, especially churches that are led by minorities. Yeah, Lord. Wow. I pray for anybody that's irritated today. I thank you that they're irritated. Because, Lord, sometimes we come to church and we get challenged. Sometimes we come to church and our worldview is shaken up. Sometimes, Lord, that just reveals how fragile we are. It just reveals how controlling, how fearful we are to learn a new thought. But we stack it all up. What does the Bible say? Thank you, Jesus, for recording these stories. Now unto him who's able to keep you from falling. Oh, Lord, we need that. The one who's able to present us faultless before his throne with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior. That Hebrew, blessed and beautiful and brown Savior. To him be the glory, the majesty, the dominion and the power. Both now and forevermore. And God's diverse kingdom church said, amen. I need you to say amen from the gut. Amen. All right. Now, don't try to bring all your cousins and nieces and nephews next week because we feeding folk. No, no, I'm just joking. We're going to eat till the food run out. So if you want to bring people, bring them. We're going to have a good time. God bless.